Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. We pick up Season 2 of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. We're back with our ultimate hero, the Lone Ranger, Mando himself, but he's not lone. Of course, he's got his little friend, Baby Yoda, uh, and they are traveling in search of other Mandalorians who can hopefully put him on a course to help find Baby Yoda's um, homeland, his species. He goes into this very um, uh, dingy, seedy fight den. It's basically like an underground fight club where some uh, Gamorreans are in the ring together. He sizes up this guy who's maybe like a fight boss, uh, and the fight boss wants Mando's armor, and he kind of threatens Mando. Mando's not scared, uh, and uh, there's a little bit of uh, a blaster fight that ensues, and ultimately Mando walks away unscathed. Yes, uh, Mando uh, goes with some old Western motifs and uh, basically hog ties and strings him up by the street lamps, this uh, kind of mob boss leader, uh, kind of... Uh, demands the information from him that he has, that he knows where other Mandalorians are. He knows of a Mandalorian on Tatooine uh, in a, a little area called Mos Pelgo. Uh, Din leaves him for dead and heads back to Tatooine, uh, where he heads back to the same hangar with Peli and uh, her pit droids. Uh, she's excited to see Baby Yoda and gives him the information he needs and lends him a speeder bike to be able to go to Mos Pelgo, which is pretty much in the outskirts of nowhere. Uh, and we're talking about the outskirts of nowhere on Tatooine, which is pretty much a nowhere planet as well. So this is really nowhere. Uh, Din makes his way there after kind of having some stopped campsites with some Tusken Raiders uh, and then pulls up to uh, a cantina uh, to ask the barkeep uh, if he knows of a Mandalorian, i.e. someone who looks like him. And the barkeep says, oh, you must mean the marshal who is somehow standing right behind Din at that specific time. And the name walks a gentleman who is wearing familiar armor. It's Boba Fett's green Mandalorian armor. The guy seems a little slimmer, a little different in particular stature. Sits down with Mando, takes off his helmet. It's actor Timothy Oliphant who introduces himself as Cobb Vanth, marshal of the area, acquired the Mandalorian gear off of some Jawas uh, back when he... Um, was picked up by their their sand crawler in the desert, was able to use that armor to kind of bolster his position in the community, use it to protect his area. Uh, Mando wants this armor. He kind of sees it as part of his creed to confiscate that armor. Uh, but Cobb Vanth won't give it up for free. He instead proposes uh, a little um, deal whereby Mando helps to secure the safety of his community because there's this little problem where a crate dragon keeps slithering through. Yes, so uh, the crate Dragon comes through, it rumbles the town and shakes everybody. They agree that this is a fair swap, uh, but Cobb knows where it sleeps, and so they go off. Uh, Cobb's speeder is built out of an old recycled pod racer. Uh, they come across some Tuscans uh, and then some Tuscan hounds on their way, uh, and then realize, okay, the, the Tuscans themselves are also hunting this crate Dragon. So let's learn a little bit more information. Uh, they uh, kind of go together uh they're a little bit agitated by each other uh and Cobb and uh, the tuscans show a little bit of disrespect back and forth but din is kind of the man in the middle translating for one another to show that their disrespect is not necessarily needed uh and then from there they get a little bit of a first-hand glimpse of the crate dragon eating a bantha that they're feeding to try to uh, ensure that it stays asleep um and then they're not going to be able to do it without uh, the help of Tuscan Raiders, which is a, a tricky business, as we know. But uh, Mando is able to kind of broker diplomacy between the villagers and the the Tuscans, which is great. Um, Cobb Banth is not on board with that at first. There's a lot of butting heads, but he gets on board. He convinces his people back in town to get on board again, a little more butting heads. But ultimately, everybody's going to get along and they're going to go back to the Sarlacc pit where dwells this uh, crate dragon, and they're going to blow it the hell up with a lot of explosives. And uh, they do. It doesn't go incredibly well. They lose a lot of good Tuscans out there. Um, but uh, Mando pulls off a pretty classic move where he kind of allows himself to be consumed by the crate Dragon, blasts his way out, kablooey just like Bruce from Jaws. Yes. Yeah, so after it taking a long time, their blasters essentially doing nothing, blowing him up from on the stomach, his weak part doesn't do anything. 
Din decides to blow it up from inside the stomach, uh, all the while using a callback to episode one of The Mandalorian where he electrocutes the inside of his mouth so that he only swallows the uh, explosive ridden bantha and doesn't get swallowed himself. He Herculeses uh, and Iron Man's his way out, exploding everything in behind him, and cool guys don't look at explosions, lands <laughs> like the ultimate superhero. Everybody is happy. Cobb is happy to give his gear uh, to Din. Uh, Din speeds off as they shake hands as friends, uh, and then a suspicious bald man is watching them from the mountainside. The bald man turns around, and although we hadn't seen Boba Fett in his armor, we see him still on Tatooine, and he is looking scarred and on the hunt once again. It is an amazing, amazing episode. It was so exciting, start to finish. I absolutely loved it, and uh, it had so much going on. I mean, it was 54 minutes or whatnot. It was amazing. You're right, and it was just so unbelievably cinematic. The money that had to be spent on this, like, I mean, they, they literally mm. transitioned to IMAX cameras in that final action sequence, um, to actually film this crate dragon, which was stunning, polluted with uh, open up. Oh man, so much fan service, but so uh, handled so tactfully. It never felt gratuitous or or like it was forced. I, I would like to to talk about this at length, uh, but let's try and keep it as chronological as possible. Um, sure. Let's go back to the the gritty fight the club ring? he's in. Um, I wanted to make note of these weird axes that they're using to fight, which are not lightsaber blades it's interesting we actually have a little bit of fighting with actual mm -hmm. traditional knives in this and that's how mando gets out of his little pinch there he stabs a couple of guys with regular knives these are vibro axes though is that what that is because these gamorians are fighting and there seems to be some kind of strange um deflection that's not like regular metal Mm, yeah. yeah, so they're uh, same with the vibro blade that the Mandal that uh, like Din himself has and pulled up against um, Paz Vizsla, the the heavy infantry Mando in season one, and they like their vibe like their metal is shaking, like kind of like vibranium basically. Right, right. <laughs> um, it, but it essentially is this incredibly um, like almost like a, a electroconductive type metal in that regard. And it's very powerful and it's used in a lot of weaponry throughout Star Wars. There are a lot of uh, melee weapons that have uh, capabilities um, and effects similar to a lightsaber or like a lightsaber light, uh, like the same way that they have things that like when Finn goes up against um, uh, the, the traitor stormtrooper in uh, Force Awakens and he's using one of those um, batons as well. Right. Um, so the the, the fight staff. the fight boss is named Cor Garash. He's voiced by John Leguizamo, which I think is who you yeah. were, we were talking off mic and you said there's a there's a voice actor in this who who you're going to recognize as a very famous person. I did have to look him up. I would never have guessed it on my own. It sounded it, it just sounded too much like John Favreau to me. I just couldn't get it out of my head, and yeah. so I just assumed it was him. And immediately it was like, oh, because it did seem weird to me. I was like, John Favreau, don't just like give yourself like. 20 characters in star wars now right you're doing the same voice every time people like steven stanton who are like someone who's someone who does a ton of voices in star wars it's because he like does yoda for the clone wars and all these other like like peculiar characters and has a few niche ones and is using a different voice in all capacities whereas i was just like oh, is this john favreau just gonna use his normal voice a bunch but thankfully it was legzamo so uh, we really don't see a whole lot new here. He's just still a badass. Uh, Baby Yoda uh, peeks out of a jug, and it's incredibly cute. It's um, super cute. He's in a he's in Abyssin, the the bad guy, okay. um, that Leguizamo's character, and that's uh, another background character from A New Hope, sort of alien yeah. usage. So always great to see. Um, and then we go to Tatooine, and in general, this episode this this episode is so important to me. I, I think it has to be my favorite ever of of Mando because. What have I been saying ever since we started this podcast in reference to uh, the acquisition and what Disney hasn't hasn't fulfilled for me? It's the familiarity of, of planet visitation. And I know we went to Tatooine in one or two episodes of Mando season one, and there was some gratifying fan service, although uh, Cannavale with his feet on uh, the table in yeah. Hans booth was not, that didn't do it for me. And this, this episode was all I wanted from Tatooine for the last eight years since Disney bought it like it was yeah. like everything you wanted i mean right down to the crate dragon which of course is the big skeleton we see in the dune sea in the first ever um star wars movie it's a bit of a fuck you to dune <laughs> do you well. think do you think so 
Not intentionally, but it's a little bit like if you're not going to come out this year, let's just make one episode an hour long. Here's your Dune fix. Uh, here's this giant desert like creature that's going to be uh, consuming this area. I mean, obviously not the same scale, but it, it's such an epic, epic episode. There's so much that goes on. And like you said, the scale and the budget. And I, I said to you, I think it's the episode that George Lucas would probably be the most proud of the thing yeah. he'd probably be the most proud of since Star Wars has been taken over because it's a technical achievement and it is advancing the medium and it is advancing Star Wars so much. I guarantee you that anyone who's working on Star Wars after seeing that episode for the first time just was so goddamn giddy uh, or even like Taika Waititi, like for the movie that he's creating or like Deborah Chow as they're just in pre-production, like what they can then think of can then escalate. It can just go up to another level because of the scale that they were able to come up with in this episode with the realism as well. It's like there was nothing in it that didn't feel incredibly um just in your face and in a great way. Well, and you're very right. I don't mean you specifically. I just mean anyone who has their suspicions about the corporate nature of Disney and their their power over the franchise. And, and, and certainly we have reason to believe that the big business and some of the executive ship of of the management of Disney has had its downfalls. But you can't accomplish this episode of television without the mouse's money. money. Yeah, like yeah. It, it that's that's really the bottom line. It's not to say that Star Wars lives and dies uh quality by uh by how much cash is is shelled out. That's not the case at all, but in this case it was just spent very effectively. Now there's one more significance to uh the use of the crate dragon in this story and I wonder if you picked up on it. Uh, yes, it's seen canonically in A New Hope. It's also heard canonically in A New Hope. And did you did we know that the, yes. That the, the shriek that Obi-Wan lets out when he's rescuing Luke from the Tusken Raiders is in fact the sound of a crate dragon? On um, Yes, I believe that was always the intention. However, it was changed. There are three different versions yeah. um, that have been used. I don't know. Like There is the... Um, there's very clearly the original one, but there's probably all of them in there because it makes so many noises. Uh, but that was it, they George Lucas. I don't know why he decided to change that up. It yeah. just works as the crate dragon. It's not like people, it, they only ever started to question it when he was changing it. Right. It was supposed to be this ridiculous sound, and uh, it was really great to be able to kind of see that fulfilled. But another one of those things that uh, just brings things full circle, it's not in your face, uh, it just makes you smile and. Uh, be like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. And this is, I know, going completely out of uh, chronological order to the very end uh, of the episode, but there was also the Crate Dragon Pearl, too. Yes. Uh, and that's something that goes to the video games uh, and has been used uh, in throughout Star Wars uh, canon and Legends, uh, and it's actually used as lightsaber crystals uh, in oh. Legends. And so that's it's they're extremely, extremely rare and valuable. Is that just supposed to be like some kind of calcified piece of crate biology that is valuable to the Tuscans? Uh, no, valuable to anyone in the galaxy. Okay, they're just insanely valuable. Crate dragons. It, it, it's basically, it's a metal that you've, uh, like, oh, you, you climbed Mount Everest with no equipment? Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a badge of That's honor. That's the only way you could have ever gotten a, a like, it, it's something to show, like, and you saw, it's not easy to kill a crate track. Well, it's it's a 400-pound marlin above your, your mantle. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it, it, exactly proof it, of your adventures. But to, to an even larger scale of rarity and value, these things were insanely, insanely valuable. Well, and you're right to say that it makes perfect sense that they've brought this full circle because we've never gone to Tatooine and not at least have, an, have had like a, a peripheral um, cameo by Tusken Raiders. They are essential to, to the Tatooine landscape. But like the fact that they were scared away by Obi-Wan impersonating a crate dragon like kind of paints a back, backstory for their for their relationship to the crate dragon and so like mm -hmm. you're right it's it's totally full circle it's a little jarring at first that we're expected to accept that they're so diplomatic and and kind of rational when they've only ever been depicted as like savages but i don't know it's okay it, it works yeah it absolutely works uh, can you hear my rabbits in the background uh, a little bit i don't think it's it's too disruptive 
Okay, that's good. Yep. Uh, it's also it was cool to see them always traveling single file as well. Yeah. To hide their numbers. To hide their numbers, exactly. It was very fitting. But it, it shows, but it also, it makes that moment in episode two also like that much more intense now. Anytime you watch Attack of the Clones, like, and they slaughtered them like animals. Mm. No, they're not animals. They right. have been portrayed that way, but it's a matter of they see everyone is disrespecting them and everybody sees them as a savage animal. And so it's, I mean, what they did to Shmi was savage. Yeah. Uh, but there is, as you can see, Din was able to get them to kind of come together. Uh, it was really cool to see the different uses of language, like the sign language along with uh, the, I like the fact that Din could speak Tuscan. I thought that was really cool. Clearly he has good relations with the Tuscans I have. Well, he said he spent much time on Tatooine, which we haven't <clears throat> seen. Like he only, in the show, he's only spent brief amounts of time on Tatooine. So clearly he's been there enough to have a relationship with this race. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's a really good point. Uh, yeah. It's not something I really thought of. Uh, I saw that as kind of a callback to to last time um, in the sense that he was there for a little bit of time. And in the percentage that we know of him, that's, that's a lot of time. So, so um, I, I want to talk about Mr. Vanth, whose name you dropped not for the first time as recently as last week. Like you just said very no. casually, you're like, you know, maybe you know, at some point we're probably going to get Cobb Vanth in the, in the Boba Fett armor. And that means we're probably also going to get Tamara Morrison out of the Boba Fett armor. Like you said so much stuff that it was immediately true. <laughs> it was really yeah, great. Uh, but it made a lot of sense. We had yeah. heard the rumors that Timothy Oliphant was wearing and we heard the rumors that Timothy Oliphant was in the show uh, and that Tamara Morrison was going to be in the show. And it just, it all makes sense. And Cobb Vanth, that was the last time we'd seen Boba Fett's armor. Uh, we saw that we were going back to Tatooine. And so it all lined up really well. And it was so, so, so goddamn satisfying. I mean, the character, uh, he doesn't have many canon, he, well, he has canon appearances in just the Aftermath books. But now we ha he's the second lead in a, a half movie of Star Wars. Yeah. And now that's, like he's an extremely cool character and there's so much more and I'm, I can like he's going to come back at some point in, in this season. I mean, they he's, made, he they says they really led into that. Yeah, he says I hope to see you again sometime. That means for sure I'll see you again sometime. Yeah, he, he'll pick him and he'll they'll join the crew for uh, the next big heist at the end of season two. I hope we see him I, sooner than I'm that. I'm good with that. Because I love him. Like, I, I, amazing. I mean, here's the highest compliment you can receive on this podcast. He has Harrison Ford energy. He's that cool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's immediately like a top 25 character in Star Wars, top 25, 30 character, because like he's a central character to a plot line here. He has swagger. He has intrigue. He fits within a larger story. He has Western uh, credibility. He has, he, he has Western. He's tons of Western credibility. I mean, this is a guy who is Marshall Sheriff. Yeah, he, that's the thing is he's not just from Deadwood and Justified. He was a marshal in both of those shows. And now he's a marshal in this too. So he's like kind of one of the like essential preeminent modern serial Western actors of which there are very few. And I think he's happy, happy to take up that mantle. Yeah, and he absolutely killed it. I absolutely love him. Uh, the Boba Fett helmet I have now is as much, if not more, a Cobb Vanth helmet now. I like Cobb Vanth more than I like Boba Fett. Yeah, so far. Uh, so far, and like, like that's, if you give me 50 minutes of a character and it's already beat all the history of one other character, that's okay. Yeah. That just means that that character really knocked it out of the park. Except and now they, I'm so excited to see the fact that Boba Fett's going to have his most interesting arc ever probably coming this season as well, or maybe next season, or maybe in season four. Who knows? But there's going to be some lead there, so that's exciting. I wanted to ask you what your predictions were, because they show him, you know, off in the distance, kind of staring over uh, our Mando and Cobb Vanth, you know, uh, riding away into the sunset. Actually, I guess it's Mando and Baby Yoda. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he is looking worse for wear, as you would, having spent all that time on, on Tatooine. Um, mm. Completely bald, definitely, like, beefier. Like, he might be jacked as all get out now. Um, some scars on his head. He's got like gear. Like you don't want to cross this guy. Um, it's he's it, got Tuscan gear. Yeah. Um, reason to believe he's not going to be that central for a while, right? Like how how many episodes before we see Boba Fett again? I would think it's going to be quite a few. Yeah. But at the same time, is like, did Moff Gideon put him on the scent? Is there an association there? 
Uh, is he just looking for his armor? That seems that doesn't seem no. to work. No, there's got to be something. I, so I, I think he's got to be like he worked so closely with the Empire for so long. Uh, they are they gonna further lean into him being a bad guy, and or are they gonna do a little bit of a redemption arc, or are they gonna make it a little bit gray and potentially Boba Fett will be introduced in a way where like. Oh shit! They're just having a very casual conversation, like the same way Django was introduced to Obi Wan, or they just have a meeting, and it's like you never know how they could introduce Boba Fett, and or it could be some big like shootout. So there's so many different ways. Uh, I don't imagine he's going to have a huge role in this season, right? Uh, my, I would, I would guess he's going to have me. <laughs> You think he's still a bounty hunter, though? You think there's a chance he's still working for on contracts? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think he's working with Gideon. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah, it does. Um, especially seeing as okay, Gideon worked with the Empire. Okay, who is the Empire's top bounty hunter? Oh, it was a guy who dressed in Mandalorian armor. Hmm, I'm looking for a Mandalorian. Who should I hire to help me look for said Mandalorian? Yeah, well, that guy died. Did he die? Hmm. Let's confirm. Or why else is uh, Boba Fett still on Tatooine. Uh, does he work with the Tuscans? Uh, is Boba Fett like I? I, I really I don't know. It, it like why? Why hasn't he already gone after said armor? If he was able to to find it in that capacity, well, he I, was already still on Tatooine and cared about it. it I, he's probably over the armor. I have a couple responses to that. He probably is over the armor, and even if he were to want it back, he'd need to go back to the armory and get it resized because he's, as I said, beefier now. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's not still on Tatooine. Maybe he's on Tatooine again. Like if he's working, I think if he's working on contracts. He's probably not in hiding, you know, a few blocks away from the Sarlacc pit that almost got him. No, if he's working with Gideon, he's on Tatooine again. And I think that's misdirection. I think it's because we're seeing him on Tatooine. People just assume he's still on Tatooine, not he's on Tatooine again. I very much believe that that was him uh, in season one. Yes. Not not Cobb Vanth. Uh, they all have the spurs. <laughs> But uh, it was it, it makes sense to be Boba and that he was working with Fennec Shand mm -hmm. and that he was her contact uh, and that she has that's uh, to a degree as to why she's built up such a rep and to a degree as to why she knew so much about uh, Din because she's she was potentially maybe she was put on the case by Moff Gideon and she reached out to Boba Fett for help and Boba Fett kind of decided to work the other angle and realized, oh, my contact is down. Let me finish the job. Uh, and then he maybe he doesn't know Gideon, but Fennec Chan took the job and he's finishing the job for her because they work together or something. It's just so I think smart. there's a lot more angles that make sense there um, than him still being on Tatooine. I agree. It's so smart for them to slow play evolving him into perhaps one of the ultimate antagonists of the show when the whole reason for doing The Mandalorian as a series is to essentially do what would have been the Boba Fett show, except with mm -hmm. a different guy who has different morals. And so they can kind of just like cherry pick the best parts of a character, make him a good guy, and then also use this other previously underserved character who's a legend and mm -hmm. and fix him as well. And so it's just, they, they have so much opportunity with this character. Now, I think I think we'd be remiss not to mention that it's not clear to every single casual Star Wars fan, and even those who might not consider themselves casual Star Wars fans, exactly what Boba Fett looks like nowadays. Um, I, yeah. I think it's probably understood that, that he is a clone of his father, and so it makes sense that he's portrayed by the same actor from Attack of the Clones. I mean, maybe those people haven't seen that guy be in a movie in 15 years. He looks very different now, and maybe they never watched an episode of The Clone Wars. And so I know for sure there are people who who saw that one frame with older <clears throat> Boba Fett and did not connect the dots right away and had to read about it in, in recaps. Oh, definitely. Uh, he does have a shaved head in The Clone Wars. Yes. Uh, and so that is a connection there. He stays bald, I guess, for um, the remainder of said time after he has his long flowing hair. Um, and so... It makes sense that people wouldn't connect those dots. He doesn't look really the same as Django Fett and that those are different eras. So you don't really even necessarily connect them as the exact same person if you're just a casual fan. Um, and even if you are a hardcore fan and don't even necessarily make that connection, it's one of those things that if you hear about it, you're going to go back and you're going to enjoy that a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Uh, but even like 
as they were starting to pan away, they, they I didn't just saw like the smallest L, the first thing I saw, I immediately knew who, what it was that they were doing, that they were doing what they did at the end of, of episode five in season one. But it was ideally they were going to show a hell of a lot more than just the bottom of his feet. Uh, one more thing about Cobb Vanth, you, you alluded to his speeder in your uh, recap. So is this just a playful allusion to Anakin's uh, pod racer or is it in fact an appropriated like old relic from the, from that, uh, from that race? I, it could be, it very well could be. I would like to think it isn't. I would like to think that Anakin, well, under that circumstance, Anakin's pod was sold yeah. Uh, and so Watto, who knows what happened to it. Um, but in that same capacity, uh, Watto could have also had a bunch more produced to try and, you know, double his luck uh, or but, something along those but lines. Counter to that, that model go along. Counter to that point, they wouldn't be as well built as Anakin's. That is a very, very good point. But this one is also broken in half. And so ultimately, yeah. if it wasn't as well built as Anakin's, it would more likely be one of these ones. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, but if it was blue, I would say yes. But it was it was red. Uh, it did have the same yellow portions. I don't care either way. It was my favorite part of the episode. You have Cobb Vanth on this like uh, repurposed pod. It was awesome. It chucked so many boxes without being remotely... Um, unnecessary in its fan service. I thought it was really appropriate. So the Krayt Dragon lives in an abandoned Sarlacc pit, and there's kind of a fun uh, back and forth between Mando and, and Cobb where he's like, look, in my experience, there's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. And, pit. and he's like, well, if you eat the Sarlacc, you can take there over There is his. if you eat the Sarlacc, yeah. <laughs> it's a different uh, Sarlacc pit than we've seen before. It's not like level to the ground. It's upright like a cave. Uh, it could just be in the cave as well. Do we think it's the same Sarlacc, or does that matter? No. No. No, I, I, I definitely don't. It's, I, it's in a very different spot on Tatooine as well. It, it wouldn't be the same Sarlacc. Okay. Um, but it goes to show that there are a lot more Sarlacc pits on Tatooine as well. Anything you didn't like? Anything you wanted to bring back to the drawing board stuff that didn't add up for you, or you're just not crazy about? No. Not really. I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm still not a huge fan of Amy Sedaris, but I thought it was better than last time. Well, and so that was fine. And I did like her line of how much do you want for it? Just kidding. But not really. You know, if this thing ever divides or buds, I'll gladly pay for the offspring. Look, <laughs> that was kind of funny. Amy Sedaris is objectively hilarious. Like, I like Amy Sedaris. Yeah. I just don't like her character. And I don't care for the way she twice said Tatooine, like Tatooine or some. She had some weird way to pronounce it. Oh, I didn't notice that. I hated it both times. And so I put her on my take backs just because I, I find her I find her very cringe. Um, I guess there wasn't really a whole lot else I wanted to take back. No, I guess I found I found Mando pretty hostile towards Cobb Vanth when they first meet. He's like, give me your armor. When Cobb Vanth has not been rude to him at all. He's just like, oh, no. hi, I'm, here's a drink. Like, sit down with me for a sec. <laughs> Mando's just, he's kind of just raised that way, though. He wasn't raised very well. And he was also raised by a subsect of Mandalorians who are a little bit of extremists. Yeah. And they, a little bit, they don't take their helmets off. That's not how all Mandalorians are. And Cobb Vanth's approach of uh, him taking off his helmet and like didn't immediately being like, oh, you're not a Mandalorian. No, the leader of Mandalore would have taken her helmet off and had a drink with Cobb. Really? Yeah. Like um, Katie Sack, um, Bo Katan's the character, and uh, the red-haired uh, who uh, Mandalorian with Ahsoka, yeah, uh, in from the Clone Wars arc. I didn't know uh, she's the leader of the Mandalorian. Yeah, she 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 becomes during Rebels. She becomes the leader of Mandalore. She's the last one we see with the dark saber prior to now Moff Gideon having it. I don't think I understood uh, that. I don't think I knew that that Armando was kind of an extremist. I just figured this is the way. No, that's the thing. This is the way for them. And so as he's going with these like covert enclaves uh, across the galaxy, he's going to discover other Mandalorians. And he's going to learn that this is a way, not okay. the way. And that's going to be interesting for him. And that's going to be a little bit of crisis of conscience. And then, because um, I can only assume so. Dave Filoni wrote two shows that have entire seasons based on Mandalore. And every Mandalorian takes off their helmet. 
So I think he knows. I think he knows that this is not consistent with the rest of Mandalorian culture, and will provide a reason as to why uh, Din's subsect is so extreme. Ultimately, the journey of of Din Jaren is, hey, buddy, loosen up. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Um, uh, let's go. And what, that's what Baby Yoda's there for. Uh, but at the same time, Baby Yoda's getting real used to having uh, Dad. Uh, you know, he's seen worse. Yes. Also, probably a potentially good t- uh, name for the episode. There weren't uh, a lot of great quotes. Like the dialogue was fine, but it just wasn't. It, it was an action episode. So a lot of the quotes were not like memorable, that's buzzy. True. Do you have any quotes down? Um, my treasure bought me more than a full water skin. It brought my freedom. There's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. There is if you eat the Sarlacc. Uh, as much as I've grown fond of the armor, I'm even more fond of this town. I really like that as a, a piece of dialogue. Um, yeah. I, I like the... Normally, I have to seek out remnants of you Mandalorians in your hidden hives and have to harvest your harvest your precious shiny shells. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great line. Really good. Um, Cobb. But then I see the little guy and I think, maybe I pegged you wrong. Thought that was a nice one, little just showing like oh, I can be friendly right here, and it was also a great intro to to Cobb Vanth and just made this character so likable right from the get go. What about when he hands off his armor to Mando and he's like, "Tell your people I wasn't the one who broke that." Yeah, I thought that was a really great one. Yeah. Points to it with a little bit of a wink, uh, and also very true and awesome to see Mando hit the jetpack and have it fly off and have Cobb Vanth. As same with Boba, then same with Django before him. Get that effing jetpack fixed. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, he, he could tell right away it had a bug to it and it was easy to hit. Those things are dangerous. Um, uh, not if I have to drink this. That was a great line from Cobb as well. Yeah, uh, it started after we got news of the Death Star blowing up. The second one that is, <laughs> uh, which always a little bit of a of a tongue-in-cheek and uh power hates a vacuum and moss pelgo became a slave camp overnight mm. uh so interestingly enough this is uh one part that they left out so during uh his kind of time away uh cobb vant actually encounters malakili and so malakili is jabba's um rancor keeper oh. and so he's wandering the desert because the sail barge blew up still crying <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And so what they also uh, encounter is they find a hutlet. And so Malakili lives in Moss Pelgo. We didn't see him. Okay. But he lives in Moss Pelgo and he's raising a small hut oh. to become the new leader. They're raising him to be good, but power hates a vacuum. So they're creating a new hut cartel led by a compassionate hut trained by Malakili. Weird. I know, but that's why they didn't include that part in the episode, but we're still <laughs> and but like still we're able to keep the majority of the integrity of the story that was in aftermath. Like it wasn't the exact same. He didn't just like negotiate with the Jawas in that way. There was another guy there and they had kind of like a duel as well for the armor cuz they both wanted it. So there's a few more things, but Ultimately, the fidelity of that story was kept intact, and it was a really cool flashback, uh, and he had some good lines in there. Um, the It's not to scale part, uh, and I guess every once in a while, both suns shine on a womp rat's tail was my favorite line. I mean, <laughs> I didn't catch it the first time. I did in the second time, and you're right. That is fabulous. It's just, I, there's so much Tatooine in one sentence. Oh, my God. Womp Rats <laughs> was said a lot in this episode. Yeah, I know. He's picking us off like Womp Rats. That's what uh, Cobb says about the, the crate Dragon. You're right. I liked, Come here, you little Womp Rat. When I, I liked there, the, the little crate Dragon uh, uh, model that they built, and they discuss over whether or not it's to scale. I thought that was funny. It was also a, a really great shot of Cobb, like, walking delirious in from the desert, and his, like, his legs mm. buckle. It's just a really good shot. Um, another great shot is his fidgeting finger when he's going for the triggers, like classic Western motif before they have, I mean, they don't ultimately have a shootout, but you think they might. Yeah. And his little like pause, like let's, let's put put a pin in this. I, yeah. I, I got to go check outside. <laughs> like, I, we can kill each other after, but there's some business coming up. Right, I do my kill. It also shows a level of cockiness that both of them think they're going to win. However, you know, cop should put his helmet back on. I know he's clearly like skinnier and less well. Uh, he's not nearly as, uh, as fortified as as Din, <laughs> like it's not a fair duel at all. No, and by the way, uh, Boba Fett's armor looks to be less than we last saw it. Like it's really just a helmet, a chest plate, and a jetpack. 
Well, yeah, that's kind of all it was. There was a couple other, like, like there was a couple shoulder plates, and there's kind of, like, gauntlets as well. Um, but there's also, a, there, it may not have all been there as well. True. Um, he wears a flight suit with it, so it looks more like a, an entire uniform. Whereas I loved that it was just, like, a sweater and a scarf. Yeah. And uh, just uh, a- average Joe clothes. Uh, a cowboy, but with that, with that helmet and chest plate. Well, I, I mean, I put it on my list, right? Last week, we were talking about our top six favorite costumes, and I, I had wow. Boba, Boba Fett's uh, armor in particular on my list, but like I saw it in a whole new light almost immediately with this new episode. And I like it, it just as... Cooler. Yeah, just as much, if not more. It's, I mean, I guess because we have so much more personality in the character now. Yeah, absolutely. And also, great personality. Like you said, uh, a level of swagger that we have not seen uh, since the likes of someone like Han Solo. And yeah. that's, I know that's saying a lot, but it's also, it's Timothy Oliphant. Like, it was not surprising. No. He was someone who, he topped my list for people I wanted in Star Wars. So I'm so thrilled that he was he was in this and he was fantastic. A uh, little cameo from R5D4 back in yeah, the hangar. Another one. They had to make this one a little bit more obvious. So many people missed it in season one that they had to just like shove it in the face. But he's got a home now. So Someone you, bought him. You think he's the same one from from the Jawas in the in the first in the first Star he, he Wars? Is the, he it is the same one because he's got the bad motivator in the back that was fixed. Okay, all right. And he's also he's this he's also um, he was in the Moss Eisley uh, Cantina mm-hmm. uh, previously, and so I guess Moss Eisley Cantina sold it to uh, to Pelly since we last saw them. Right. So, that's but great. now he has a good master who cares for him, and in the, one of the from a certain point of views, that's all that uh, our five wanted. So that's nice to see. So you've that already you've already gone through all of the trivia that I prepared. You've already said it all, so you're not going to be stumped by anything I might come up with. Uh, my Padawan question I had for you was, what was the name of the town in which Cobb Vanth is now the marshal? Uh, Mos Pelgo. Mos Pelgo. Uh, I, uh, let me come up with an alternative for for my Padawan question. I I told you the name of it. What is the name that they kind of change it to for a little bit of a, like, we're reclaiming the, the town for ourselves. And so in Aftermath, they give it a different name. Do you remember what I called it two weeks ago when we had our last pod or whatever? Of course not. No. Okay. Well, the other name for Mos Pelgo is Freetown. Oh, I kind of like that. That's cute. Yeah, I, I like it too. But I like that they went with the traditional Mos Pelgo to go along with Espa and Isley. What was the name of the marble-like sphere pulled from the excavated dragon corpse? Of course, was a... Great dragon pearl. A great pearl, exactly. Now, you might not know this one because it's kind of arbitrary. Uh, my Jedi Master level question for you. How many villagers and Tuscans did the dragon take down in its previous attack less than a year ago? Oh. Villagers and Tuscans? Yes, he says, he says both. He gives a different figure for both. But he spent oh. very casually. Uh, half a dozen villagers, at okay. least at least twice that many Tuscans. Okay, yeah, that's that's some subtly thrown in math. Normally, you keep your ears peeled for the occasional number. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was the number of the hangar I, I, where they were? I would have said I would have said a dozen. Yeah, uh, and then probably half a dozen. But uh. Uh, any more questions for me that I'll get wrong or not know the answer to? What were the uh, what's what are the Tuscan hounds also known as? Oh, shoot. I don't know. Massifs. Mm. Not Mastiffs, but a Massif. We've seen these before in episode two. Yep. And I don't know if they're a more forgivably uh, bad rendering in episode two. I don't like them. They, it's it's not that just that they're gross looking. They kind of take me out of it. They don't look that convincing to me. And not, no. in, and not in like a charming Star Wars way. No, and they, they always just look like womp rats. Yeah. So I don't know why they weren't womp rats. Even when I first saw them in Attack of the Clones, or when I first noticed them in Attack of the Clones, I was like, is that a Womp Rat? And looked it up and was like, no, it's a dog. And Okay. But are Womp Rats it, as it, big and threatening as that? Womp Rats are about two meters, uh, same size as the target on Death Star. Okay. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah. But like, though, it would have worked, uh, and they look like rats just as much as dogs. You're right. What is... What does Gore Koresh swear by to the Mando to signal that he's telling the truth about the armor on Tatooine? Uh, I mean, I'll know it when you say it because I've seen it twice today. But I don't know that that jumps out at me. I don't know. Swear by the Gatra. Oh, that actually doesn't ring a bell. What does that mean? 
Uh, it was kind of a like a droid group. Um, so they were they like supported droid rights, but they were like like rogue droids that were like merc like just killed people. Okay. So it, it was it, they were it, it was kind of like a, a a merciless group that would defy no logic in the world. So swearing to the Gatra, um, like. It means you, you, they would never, they can't lie, for example. And so he, that's what he's kind of going towards. These are just merciless droids that have no feelings in the world. I swear to the Gatra that I'm telling the truth. I have a couple more uh, Cray Dragon anatomical questions for you. One, when, uh, by the way, very cool choice of theirs, uh, considering he's a dragon, to spew some kind of disgusting acidic venom rather than fire. Does it like, does it vanquish them? You couldn't really tell, but there's a definite sizzle when it hits the ground. It seems to. Yeah. Uh, Man- Mando uh, is is fine because it hits his armor, but it's it seems to not be good. Yeah. It seems to be a little acidic. <laughs> and do they like um, excavate him for meat? Like they seem to be like. Are, yeah. are they, are so you can eat him even though he has poisonous intestines. Yeah, absolutely. The Mando took that giant piece of meat Takes at the end, which steak. was so cute. Baby Yoda was just like. <laughs> I know. He takes this huge, like, giant side of crate, and he just straps it to the back of his bike. Be a, an amazing steak. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, lean looking. That's that's all I have for this first episode of uh, of Mandalorian season two, The Marshal. Oh my god, I'm psyched now for this season. Oh, it was just an amazing, amazing episode. Uh, another Camtono of the silicax crystals in this one. Right. Uh, they had the gaffy sticks from the Tuscans that they used to clean the bantha t- uh, teeth. I yeah. thought that was kind of a cool little thing, just making everything seem a little bit more uh, logical and, and put together. Um, the weak way, showing an up-close weak way was really cool to see, uh, to show the way that they could uh, bring Hondo into the series. Uh, that's the the bartender was weak way. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, the little uh, the little scurriers, those were the, the little rat-sized creatures that they're in the phantom menace they were in this as well so just more like you said um, uh, excellent uh tatooine callbacks i like those red eye monsters at the start too that were in the hiding in the dark that made for kind of a, a cool sort of vibe i'd be interested in going back to uh, that planet and seeing what that was i have no idea what the planet was well it's it's funny we've got a bunch of different like genre vibes from this episode and it's funny because we talked a lot about genre when we were discussing mm-hmm. the the directions we wanted to see star wars take in the future and um Something we talked a lot about is like the the gritty backstreets detective uh, version of Star Wars that we've never really had. But we don't not get that in this opening sequence when he takes Korgoresh out back and ties him up in the street and then he leaves him there and the lights go low and you just see the red lights. Like that's that's alleyway stuff. I love that. Yeah, um, very Dick Tracy. That's yeah. the comparison that I've heard a lot of people say. And I was like, well, I didn't watch Dick Tracy. Oh, I, I have seen Dick Tracy like part of it once and... It aligned with anything I remember of it. It seems very like the mask almost in the way that it's like these just big like shoot 'em out sort of ridiculous over the top gangsters. And uh, yeah, Din walks in with an amazing kind of swagger. It, it's it's an excellent excellent start to the season. It's so exciting. I was just I messaged you and just was like you got to tell me when you see this because it's just such an exciting start. Uh, and so I'm I'm eager to see where they go next. Whether it's going to be and they had most of the the commercial stuff in this episode. We know of a water planet they're going to, and then an ice planet as well. Um, and then we're going to see, they're going to go back to Navarro. I think there's a decent chance actually that if they, if he goes back to Navarro next episode, that um, grief cargo might be able to identify that armor. Uh, if no one else can, well, he, he, he should know <laughs> uh, sure. the bounty hunters across the galaxy. And then what are we going to do with that armor? Is like he's not going to melt it down. It's too iconic. But also, who are you going to give it to? I don't know. What are you going to do? Is he is like you would think he wants to melt it down? Yeah, and like make a little like Mando suit for the child. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is the way, and he can rename him. And he's like, this is Boda, uh, <laughs> but but Boda feet. He will need a name at some point. As much as we yeah. uh, are are used to Baby Yoda, it's going to be a tough I adjustment. Wa- no, I, for me, I don't think it will. No. I just want him to have a name so that I can start. Like I call him the child sometimes. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted the yodeling to take off the start because I think that's a way cuter than Baby Yoda. Yeah. Um, 
but baby Yoda is pop culturally the one that won. And it's what I say the most it's yeah. So I'm, I'm eager for the little, uh, little dude to have a name so that we can all settle on it. You can't fight the meme. All right, let's talk about the news. What's going on in star Wars world. Uh, well, yeah, let me send you uh, quickly uh, a message. Cause uh, I wanted to, this is a leak. And so it's something, but it's a leak of a poster. Of the, so, of the Lego movie. Yeah, of the Lego holiday special. But it is about a cool, a really cool piece of canon that is coming out, or assumed canon, uh, that will be following post-Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Uh, and so tell me if you spot the reveal in this uh, in this poster. Um, okay, that, by the way, really cool poster. I, I implore people to go take a look at this, because... Uh, the reveal. I mean, there's a guy. It's in not this... easy to find because it's a leak. Um, no. I mean, I see. I see Vader. I see Palpatine. I see Han. I see Lando. I see Finn. I see Ray and Kylo, Chewie, and a guy in the middle who I don't recognize. I see Luke, three PO, and R two, and the Falcon. I see some porks. That's. You mean the guy with in in the dead center is Poe with the with yeah. the green sweater? Yeah, that's Poe. That's okay. Poe. All yeah. right. Cool. Good sweater, by the way. No, yeah. what, what am I looking for here? All right, you, you you said his name. Okay, Palpatine. Okay, think of uh, somebody whose future in Star Wars has been the most in flux, but has the most interesting tidbit on this poster. Um, Finn? Yeah, look at Finn. Finn is squinting. Not, he- don't look directly at Finn. Look at Finn as a whole Finn has a yellow lightsaber Finn has a yellow lightsaber oh shit man that is <laughs> that is tough to see yeah I went on reddit and I went through and because like the Star Wars leaks reddit is uh it's not huge and it was not the first few things I was seems like how come no one's talking about the fact that he has a yellow fucking lightsaber but so does uh, Ray here like well, yes but th- we know Ray has a yellow lightsaber but this is confirming that Jedi Finn is gonna have a yellow lightsaber and as they move forward he doesn't have a last name maybe this these yellow bladed skywalkers will uh fuck some shit up as lego people so this is this is a cool kind of reveal yellow is the new blue yes and i prefer the change up this is going to be a cool one to see more yellow if they do decide to kind of move that forward showing uh, a shift in the force for uh for for the better i guess that's cool. That's pretty exciting. And we know now yeah. that, that Finn is definitely open to wielding that in live action in the future because he's been very um, open-minded and positive about Star Wars in the press lately. Yeah. 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 No, he's he's been uh, talking about kind of the back and forth that he's had with Disney and the fact that executives have, have reached out uh, and that he's educated them in, in a way and they've kind of explained their side a little bit as well. Uh, but he, it, it seems fairly positive and uh, that's in, in, it's encouraging in my books uh, to show that, I mean, he's young yeah. in a decade's time or even five years time or in 20 years time or 30 years time, things will be very, very different. So episode 10 will come at some point uh, and at the very least, we'll get another story with Finn. But here, here here's your segue in John Boyega. You, you're going to get a lightsaber. So it's going to be as opposed to it just being for the posters. Uh, and to save Ray, it'll be yours. So he's probably not. Should be. He's probably not voicing himself in this Lego holiday special, though, is he? It doesn't seem like anyone is, other than like Rose, which is weird. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I mean, but that's just because that's all that they've announced. Uh, oh, and and three PO. Um, but and I, th- I think Rose is one of the main characters in the episode. Okay. So, like in the holiday special, which is good. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, it is. That that's a, a good use use case for it. And also, she's she is that person in their group. <laughs> like, can you think of any friend group who's the one who's like the super bubbly? Like, we all have to get together around the holidays. It would be Rose. <laughs> that's so. true. That's true. I like that for Rose. <laughs> yeah, it fits. Okay, what else? Uh, really, not a whole lot. Um. There is uh, Martian Rowe. Uh, he is the main villain in the High Republic era. And uh, so he's kind of like the leader of the Nile. Uh, and so uh, his name is, he's kind of the eye of the Nile, like his father before him, and occupies the unique place of unusual power uh, in the structure of this Viking-like group. Uh, he is one of the more unique looks of new villains, 
uh, and he really does. He has this like weird mask with a giant like Sauron red eye on it. Okay. Uh, and he's got a very very cool like pulsating looking blaster. Uh, it, it's cool imagery, and it, these uh, Nile, these Vikings, uh, look to be fairly interesting foes for the Jedi at this time period. So. I'm quite excited to see the books that are going to be coming out for the High Republic in, in the near future. Uh, other than that, though, no, there's really nothing in the news. Uh, there was that uh, kind of fun little story. Uh, John Baggett stories keep coming up here and there. Um, and then just more stuff about the High Republic. But I mean, it is the Mando quiet. is dominating the news. And exactly. Rightfully so. It's going to be quiet time for anything other than Mando for the next eight weeks because that's going to be all the Star Wars news we need. And we'll cover that okay. as we talk about those episodes as they come. Um, and this is exciting for us to be able to break down episodes in real time, like talk about an episode without knowing what's going to happen in just a few days when the new episode comes. I mean, talking about Boba Fett in this episode was weird because we don't know how this section, not this chapter, because we do know how this chapter ended, but we don't know how this season's going to end. And so we would almost view, we'd, we would treat this season like a season of our show. And so it's going to be weird to not know the full picture uh, we'll have to have a, a, a good summary episode at the end because I'm sure there will be some some key takeaways and some things that we missed. And so that could be really exciting to kind of to, to look back and watch this all as one long film in the end. I know I did that with the first season. Um, I watched that season like six times. Um, I've already watched this episode three times. And so it's uh, uh, it's probably going to be another one of those. I'm just I'm in love with the show. It's just checking all the boxes in this episode was as good of a start as I ever could have hoped for, um, just like season one. And this was a lot better than the pilot. Um, yeah, but, it was. I mean, the, the pilot, you have no expectations. Whereas this, they gave you expectations from season one, and it just kept at that level that seven and eight were hitting at the end of last season. Do we know who the director is for part two, for episode two? I I don't, but we know that it's one of uh, Peyton Reed, Robert Rodriguez, Dave Filoni, um, or Rick Famuyu, I believe. Okay. I think, so. I think those are the ones who are doing it this season. Some heavy uh, Oh, no, and Carl Weathers, I think he's doing one. And Bryce Dallas Howard is back again. And I think. She might be. Yeah. I think so. I think she is back again as well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, th that's right. There's. I don't think there's many who are doing two. I think there might only be one or two who are doing two. And Tyka's not back because he's actually working on his own movie and deb and deborah child doing kenobi right right okay okay cool yeah all right well i want to wish a, a happy birthday on friday october 6th to tandy newton val from solo a star wars story she's the only uh star wars birthday for the next couple of weeks uh we would love to hear what uh any thoughts you might have had uh, any curiosities you might have had about the first episode of season two of the mandalorian please tweet us at recorder 66 or email recorder 66 podcast at gmail.com rate and review on your preferred podcast app and until we are together again May the force be with you.